Hey everybody, and you're listening to the High Session Boy Podcast, where we talk about everything local and beyond. I'm John Yubasato, your host, and joining me today is Kyle Shimabukuro. How's it? Devin Nakoba. Howdy. And our guest today is Jill Omori. Hi, Jill. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before we begin, let me remind all our, all of our listeners of the ways they can stay in touch with the show. There is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at High Sessions. Of course, you can go to SoundCloud, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts and download the podcast and get the show. Uh, once you're there, oh yeah, Devin, remind everybody because it's been a while since. Uh, what should they do if they hear us on Apple Podcasts? Uh, you can rate us five stars because if you go in the lesson that it doesn't really matter. So yeah. just lie and put so five, five stars. stars. Just put five stars. All right. We actually do have a couple of, of five star reviews, so thank you. <laughs> and of course, you can email us. Like- Three, but yeah, 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 it's not a lot, but you know, yeah, better than better uh, yeah. than zero. That's Finally, true. you can email us at highsessions.com. I mean, highsessions at yahoo.com. If you would like to help the show and uh, donate and get music on our channel instead of us just talking, please go to patreon.com and donate. P a t r e o n. There you can get more involved with the show and help determine who and what is filmed. We'd like to thank our three new patrons since our last uh-huh. podcast, uh, Je- Jessica. Jerry, and uh, someone who's called Kelu Style is uh, our three new patrons. So thank you very much for supporting us. Appreciate it. Now, <clears throat> Jill Omori is our city's infectious disease ex- expert. She's a graduate of the University of Hawaii John Burns School of Medicine, and uh, has like eighteen jobs, from what I understand. <laughs> and only one of them is paid. Yeah, I know. I know. So she is a. No, I actually do get paid, just not very much from the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll see Jill on a lot of the newscasts, and it's funny because I I googled your name last night, and just like article after article after article of Jill Amori says Jill Amori says this Jill Amori. So my first question of what I I kind of was thinking about was, man, did you sign up for this city uh, expert position before or after COVID? Because I, I can't imagine that you signed up for this. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'd like to um, just clarify, I am not an infectious disease expert. <laughs> I just happen to be the infectious disease officer. I see. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, so I don't want people to think that I'm actually like board certified in infectious disease. So I'm a family physician, so I am a doctor. Um, so I took this job with the city... I I'd like to say maybe five or six years ago, so way before COVID. And um, prior to COVID, it was a pretty easy job. <laughs> it was just um, answering like maybe three or four calls a month about like first responders that might have had an exposure to either like like a needle Hepatitis stick. Or- yeah, you know, like, oh, somebody coughed on them, then they thought maybe they had TB or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty easy <laughs> and then COVID hit and then it's just been uh, quite crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just, uh, man, just by circumstance, you've just become ridiculously, unbelievably busy. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I feel for you. But uh, how has that affected your personal life? Are you, are you okay? Do you um, meditate or, or punch a punching bag or something when you get home every day? My punch yeah, um, She has her husband, John. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So so he <laughs> takes the brunt of it. Pretty much. So you know, I feel I feel a little bad for John because um, you know, he's a firefighter and I have to uh, work with all the firefighters and keep them safe and things like that. And every time one of them does something wrong, like he gets yelled at. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so and they just had the outbreaks, right, in Kalihi and the uh, Hawaii Kai Station. So yeah, there's uh, three stations now with um, oh, three stations. Okay. Yeah, with with positive firefighters. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, go ahead, Devin. No, no, I'm just curious. Um, has there been any word about tracing and all that kind of stuff? I mean, when uh, sorry, in the in the interest of full disclosure, it's also important to note that uh, Dr. Jill is very good friends with. Uh, Kyle and myself, like going back 20 plus years, probably some kind of scary like that. Mm -hmm. um, but also uh, she is a professor at Johnny Burns School of Medicine. And so she's a lot of the doctors in Hawaii, including my cousin, have all been taught by her. So she has a long history of, uh, of work here in the islands. And also, too, important to note um, her work with the, the poor and the indigent because she's been uh, part of the home project, which is a big thing, and we're going to talk about as well. That's right. Yeah, I have that on my notes. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I, I know you're trying to do levels, but um, uh, my question was also, uh, you know, regarding tracing and stuff. Because when the LG comes to our station and he talks about uh, the whole COVID situation, a lot of it is about the fact that we just don't have enough tracing. Is that still the case? Because I'm wondering how these firemen and all these other people are catching this thing. Yeah. So. Um yeah, the, the contact tracers are really working extremely hard. And, you know, they haven't had days off. And, you know, like they work seven days a week. And uh, the people that I contact at DOH, you know, they take my calls all, you know, throughout the night and things like that. Um, and just anecdotally for the firefighters and other, other city employees that have tested positive, a lot of times they don't get contacted for um, days. And so that's why it's really important on the city side. We just, we do the contact tracing for any of the employees that they may have gotten in, um, you know, exposed to so that we can determine whether somebody needs to quarantine right away before DOH can have a chance to do their contact tracing. So, you know, um, that's a lot of what I've been doing um, more recently is just kind of tracking down who, you know, who did they get in, in exposed to. And so shutting, you know, that's why the fire stations get shut down and things like that. Um, as to like where they get it from, that's a, that's a harder thing. And so, you know, as, as the city um, infectious disease officer, my main, my main job is to make sure that any other workers who may have been exposed get quarantined and get placed in isolation <clears throat> or get tested if they need to. Um, and I asked them preliminary questions about where they might have gotten it from, but um, I don't do a lot of that investigation. I leave that to the Department of Health. But I can say, you know, just in like, like right now we have like, um, it's, it's like eight firefighters and two HPD officers and two um, EMS workers that are positive. And I really don't think that actually any of them got it from their jobs. I think that <clears throat> it was it was something in their personal lives and they 
um, brought it in or um, I take that back. So uh, for the firefighters at the Hawaii Kai station, most likely one of them brought it in and then the, the rest of them that are positive got it from that person. Oh. Um, but not like from a call, like from a patient or, you know, things like that. But it's really hard because the firefighters live in such close quarters that, you know, even though we're trying to be really careful, I think that <clears throat> just the nature of how they do their jobs, it makes it really hard to socially distance. And your husband actually works at a station, so yeah. you're going, ah. <laughs> do you feel like wrapping him in a hazmat suit before he goes to work? Or how does that work? Well, you know, so John and I haven't been sleeping in the same room for uh, like months because of oh, COVID. Wow. I mean, you know, because I, I work with patients, he, he's at work. So, you know, just to kind of keep each other safe, um, we've been sort of isolating. Yeah. Uh, do you um, hose him down before he enters the house or anything like that? <laughs> Bring him with lights on or... Well, how, do you just, how do you sanitize him? <laughs> no, he probably thinks I need to be sanitized more than him. <laughs> I was going to say, sleeping in separate rooms, uh, don't tell my wife, might, might become a trend. <laughs> I, she, she I know, right? that too. Hello, John. It's <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> but uh, so, um, Jill, um, we're trying to social distance. Uh, we've been trying to wear masks. Uh, so uh, I know that that's been really the push as far as uh, the government's um, recommendations, right? And uh, I know that um, I, think, I think they're looking at shutting down more things other than bars now. Is, is, uh, you, you just got out of a conference, right? Is, uh, are more shutdowns coming? So, I mean, yesterday they announced the, um, the limits of 10, the gatherings. Uh-huh, yep. Outside. Um, I think that if we don't see significant improvement, and I don't think it necessarily has to be the numbers because the numbers lag, right, in mm -hmm. what people are doing. But I think that just visually, if people are not listening to the mandates, I think that it's very likely that there will be another, not complete shutdown. I don't think, you know, I think it would have to get really bad for that to happen. Um, but I do think that they might close the parks again and beaches. Um, and I mean, my personal opinion is that they should. And um, be, just because people cannot, they're just not listening to the rules. Um, I also think that they need to shut down organized sports. Um, because I mean, that is huge gatherings. <laughs> and so I don't see the, you know, the, per the point in uh, limiting gatherings to 10 when you allow like 100 people to gather on a football field or a soccer field um, without masks, you know, like that, there's, it doesn't make any sense at all. So I do think that um, if they continue to see it, and if HPD has a hard time enforcing the the rules that they're probably going to at least shut down the parks and and organize sports i think well i think john what we should do before we move forward is yeah um, let people know that today is august 4th which is a tuesday okay. because i don't know when you're going to air this so you know yeah, some things be, are relevant and things might be dated you know yeah yeah by next uh monday this will be aired so it'll be yeah it'll be a little old yeah but <laughs> This has been moving so quickly. By next Monday, we'll all be like, well, we're all locked down already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But it was, it, it was, what was strange to me this past weekend was, you know, we were all worried about the 4th of July weekend being out of control, which it probably was, right? But 
this weekend in particular, I don't know what it was. People just needed to get outside. There was a Waimea Bay jump rock contest on Saturday. There was a flotilla going around Hawaii Kai. And then the Alamana Beach Park that my friend was there videotaped. Just tents all down the, all down the beach. And people yeah. obviously not practicing social distancing or wearing a mask. Well, that's just having that, a good time. You know? That leads me to, to one of my questions. Uh, you know, I think people get confused or there's all the different kinds of information that comes out. And so they talk about how, you know, sunlight is uh, bad for the virus. And so, you know, if you're outside, it's not as bad as being indoors. And then you have, uh, so one of the questions that I had was, you know, that the state has been recently um, starting to let people know where these um, infections are occurring, you know, certain bars, certain nightclubs, certain um, uh, like, you know, funerals or, or whatever. Um, but uh, no, my first question, I guess, is why did it take so long to start letting people know where these things were occurring? Because that kind of helps with, you know, when you're a person out there knowing where to go and how to act. And then secondly, have any of these, um, have any of these cases, have you folks been able to track it to these outdoor venues or outdoor gatherings? Because I haven't heard of, maybe they have been, but I haven't heard it. I've heard it more from bars and all the indoor, you know, close close type of uh, events? No, there's definitely been um, clusters that have uh, mm. come out of large gatherings that have happened, like, and it's mostly like private gatherings, you know, like uh -huh. birthday parties and graduation celebrations. And so there's definitely clusters even in outdoors. Um, and uh, I think the reason why, so before like the bars that they announced the name, um, it was it was basically up to a business if they wanted to, um, you know, oh. like whether they were because otherwise it, it is pretty confidential. Um, so like Hawaiian Airlines, you know, they they released it themselves that they had, you know, this issue. Um, and like, you know, when they had the gyms that um, had the outbreaks, they didn't release the names because it was if they're able to contact trace within like if they know who was there then they don't really have to announce it to the public because they they're contacting everybody that could have been at risk but with the bars it was a lot harder because there's no way to know for sure who was there um you know like which nights they were there and actually with these two bars i <laughs> i guess um you know they not everybody was being very honest <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know whether they worked there or whether they uh frequented there and so um that's why they decided to publicize the name so that people in the public that might have been exposed to those two bars would know that you know there there might be a risk and so they could contact the the tracers because the um the management and the workers couldn't tell you, couldn't tell DOH exactly which people were there. I see. So it, it's more a matter of how you can, so, so it's announced when the, you guys can't figure out necessarily who was at the event. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cause I was thinking about, you remember when, um, you guys remember when it had the uh, hepatitis C or something that came from Genki Sushi or something like mm -hmm. that. <laughs> and the, the first thing that was reported was it was at, this Baskin Robbins in Waikele was the first like place that it was reported. And I was like, I, I look at the, the newscast. I was like, shit, I just ate at that Baskin Robbins, you know, like 
right. And it had the dates. I'm like, oh, bro, it was right when I ate there. It was the guy who was working, you know? So, I, and because it was Father's Day, and then I had to work all day, and I thought, bro, if I got to work all day, I'm going to treat myself to some Baskin Robbins on my lunch, you know? So I went and got Baskin Robbins. But anyway, so I went, I, you know, called my doctor, and I'm like, hey, do I have to come in or do I have to take a test or something? I can't, I can't remember if I had to. But, but anyway, so that was really helpful, right? right? So I was wondering why we weren't doing that for this because you would think that, you know, if people are responsible, I mean, not everybody's responsible, but if people are responsible, then they would kind of call, you know, call whatever hotline and say, oh, I was there and can I get tested or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I, you know, because I don't know how this thing works. Everybody's, sure, sure. you know, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Deb. Yeah. No, no, no. It's interesting. I, I have a friend who I was talking to and, they're like, yeah, we switched out everybody at the place. I, I can't even say what place it is because I don't want to get them in trouble. But they were saying that they switched out the entire staff. And I went, why? Oh, because somebody has COVID-19. And so they're working at this place. And so now they have to switch out everybody that's in this place after they clean it all up. And I went, wow. You don't think maybe people want to know about that? Like, yeah, right, right. Nope. We're not telling anybody anything. And I thought, well, that's odd because, you know, when you walk into this place and everybody is different, <laughs> something's up because you don't see these people anymore. So I was just like, hmm, interesting. And then as the person who's working, I'd be like, man, I don't want to walk into that situation. That sounds spooky. Okay, so the, so the bottom line uh, is that the virus can transmit outside and that it can transmit on surfaces, Right. It can, um, and that's why, you know, we clean the areas really good and hand washing and sanitizing is really important. But it's more kind of theoretical because there hasn't been very, you know, much evidence that there's uh, a lot of what we call fomite transfer, like that's the surface transfer. And so um, while it's important, it's not the main mode of transmission. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think... Uh, Doctor, we were talking about it this morning on our show that uh, I'm, ho I'm hoping I get this correct, but uh, Dr. Fauci uh, went on some news program and was talking about, he said there are five things that people need to do in order for us to squash this thing, which is wear the mask, keep the social distance, we've got to close the bars and stuff like that because that's how people are doing transmissions. Stay away from large groups and... Oh, gosh, there was one more, and I can't remember what it is. But he said, you know, if we just do those five things, this thing is done. We don't have to worry about it. But people, for whatever reason, they can't quite wrap their heads around or they're too tired and, uh, and I guess, I don't know, they're, they're just beyond wanting to do any of those things. Or they'll do one, but not the other. Like they'll wear the mask, but they won't do the social distancing. Or they'll do the social distancing, they won't wear the mask, and then they'll go to a bar. And you just go... No, no, no. Just stop doing all five of those. We'll be good. And then he also said, if you do that, then we don't have to shut everything down. Um, yeah, you know, it's true. So actually, just with masking alone, like, and you would never get to 100% masking, but if you could get to 100% masking, it, it's actually uh, more effective than like a super strict lockdown. Mm. And so, you know, if people want to... And I get it, you know, like the economy is super important. And I, you know, I work with people in poverty every day. And, you know, I, you know, I don't want to see more people, 
you know, end up homeless and things like that. But if we want to avoid that, people really just got a mask. And I don't, I mean, I don't get it. Like, I don't, like, people say it's like a right that they don't have to wear a mask. But, you know, we have laws to protect people. Like, people, the law is to wear a seatbelt. And maybe you don't like wearing a seatbelt, but it's to protect you. And it's the law. And people follow that law. And so, you know, wearing a mask is like that, you know, it's to protect you, it's to protect other people, it's a public health issue. And so it, it just really, it quite irritates me when I hear people saying that they shouldn't have to mask because it's their personal right, you know? Is that your number one um, irritant right now? I know there's a lot of myths going around and a lot of things that's being falsely said in the public or even information leaked out that is completely false. Um, what is the other things that you want to dispel as far as myth and truth to, to what the public is listening to and hearing? Well, I mean, I think so. The mask issue is, is definitely one, um, you know, like I think there's, I've seen a lot of things uh, on social media about how masks really don't work. You know, that there's no evidence that masks works. That's not true. There is really good evidence that masks work. Um, I think there, there's also uh, things out there that say wearing a mask is actually dangerous and there's actually no good evidence that that's true. I mean, Physicians wear masks all the time, like all day long, you know, first responders wear it all day long. And, you know, it's not considered uh, like a health risk to to wear. And they're wearing actually higher grade masks than what we're asking the public to wear. Right. And it's much harder to wear an N95 mask all day long than to wear a cloth mask. I mean, an N95 is really hard to breathe through, you know. So, I mean, that definitely, and, and certainly like all of the things going on around about like hydroxychloroquine and, um, you know, how it's, it's safe and it's effective against COVID and it's just, there's, it's just not true. <laughs> Don't and forget uh, zinc and is it zithromycin? Yeah, something. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine, zinc and azithromycin. Thank you. Yeah. I wrote that in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that Donald Trump takes it every day, but <laughs> <laughs> it explains but, you know, a lot, actually. But yeah, yeah, it's just really, you know, I don't know. It's and people, I think people think that doctors are like hiding information and that we're just not, you know, saying true things to the public, but. I mean, that it's just really, I mean, and you know, if they're going to think that, they're not going to believe what I'm saying right now, but <laughs> I just, <laughs> just not. Joe, do you recall a time when um, science and medical professional people have been sort of dismissed so readily? I, I don't recall a time when this has ever happened, where uh, we've had so much counter programming to actual science. <laughs> You know, though, I mean, I, it's a difference. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure that out because it seems like, you know, we used to have people going, no, the earth is flat. It's not round or, you know, this. But this has been a whole nother level of, no, no, you don't need to wear a mask. You're fine. Just take these three things and you're good. Those kind of things keep coming up. And I, I it's tripping me out. Well, I mean, it's very similar to like climate change, right? Like mm -hmm. there's really good science about climate change and people don't believe that either, right? So, 
Um, this is just kind of medical things that, uh, and I, I know more about medical, you know, diseases than I do climate change, but, you know, I believe the science <laughs> and, mm. you know, I think there's always going to be skeptical people that don't believe the research and don't believe, and they'll, they'll latch themselves onto one article or one study and they don't look at how that study was done. They don't, you know, like when we're trained as physicians, we're look, we're, we're trained how to look at articles and how to tell whether something is a good study or not. And, um, you know, the lay public, they don't get that training. So they'll just believe whatever, if it's a study, it's a study and they believe it. And it's, there's can be really, really dangerous things, right. That, um, come out of, you know, people just putting out false research or tainted research, like the, you know, the whole movement behind, um, you know, uh, anti-vaccine, <laughs> you know, like a lot of it started with this one study that was done that showed that the MMR vaccine, which is the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine was dangerous, right? And that it was linked to autism and all of this kind of things. And then it came out later that the guy that did that study was actually developing um, like a competitor vaccine for the MMR, for measles, mumps and rubella. And so they just wanted, he just wanted to discredit the other vaccine. And his medical license got taken away and he went to jail. And, you know, people, but people still believe the study <laughs> that he did. And, you know, it can cause significant damage in our community, I think, when people aren't really careful about what kind of um, information they're listening to. Hmm. Well, Devin, I was going to jump back and say, if you think the flat earther uh, debate is dead, it's it's alive and well. Oh, online. no, no, no. I've seen the I've seen the the documentaries and all that stuff. So I know those people still exist. It's just I, I don't know how they you're looking at pictures of the earth from <laughs> the you know what I mean from space. It's like, all Photoshop, <laughs> man. <laughs> See, and if there's anybody who believes in the uh, uh, I don't know, the conspiracy theory, it's Kyle. Oh, no, I don't believe the earth is flat. I believe it's oh, I, know that, I was going to say, you're, you're of the polygonal belief. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's polygonal. Come on, you guys. Get straight. <laughs> like, a stop, like a stop sign. Yeah. Well, uh, Jill, I don't know if you, if you have an answer to this, but I wanted to. So, you know, I've been watching. There's, there's actually a, a ton of stuff online of COVID, you know, and uh, information and whatnot. And so I wanted to try to ask different questions and make this not just the same repeat of everything else, you know, but um, so let me preface this by saying like, I wear my mask and I think it works. So don't, don't at me. I'm just trying to be, come up with interesting <laughs> questions. Okay, everybody. But all right. so, all right. So uh, in Japan, okay. Masking is very, they're very efficient with that. They've been wearing them even before COVID and whatnot. Uh, we're starting to see their infection rates tick up again even though they've been masking. So what, what do you think is attributing to, or do you even know, I, I mean, I don't know if you follow Japan, but it's just kind of interesting that their uh, community has been masking and doing the right things, but yet they're seeing an uh, uptick in their infections. So, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't follow a lot of what's happening in Japan, but, um, but I do know that, I mean, they're not 100% masking either, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so it, 
in order for masking to work, um, so masks are more protective in terms of the positive person not spreading it. And it's not as effective to prevent you from getting sick. If, so if, you're, if, if the sick people are not wearing masks, it's not going to be as effective, even right. if the healthy people are all wearing masks. And so unless you have all of the sick people wearing masks and also wearing it well, so a lot of times, and even here, you know, I see people <laughs> yes. with the mask below their nose or sometimes even below their chins. Like, I'm like, why even have a mask on your face? <laughs> right. Right. You're going to have your nose and your mouth exposed. Um, and so, yeah, you have to wear it correctly for it to work. And so um, if, if they don't, and you know, in Japan, they, it's really crowded, you know, <laughs> like the, the subways. And because they use, they utilize like mass transit a lot more than here, I can see where it would be a huge problem. If, you know, if even they had just one sick person, you know, go on um, the subway, mm -hmm, you know, it's mm -hmm. going to cause a lot of spread. So mm -hmm. I think that unless they can, you know, get everybody to do it, they're still going to have some problems. Well, even in their um, social environment in Japan, their bars are one-fourth the size of our bars, and they're right. packed with people constantly, you know? That's right. The hotel rooms are super tiny, too. I've been in hotel rooms that are like closets, you know, in Japan. So, I mean, yeah, just people stacked upon people, I think, is probably well, but, but it's weird because they've, they've kept it down for so long, and then all of a sudden, it's starting to take off again. I was kind of curious. Well, I, think I also heard that they weren't really testing um, oh. as they said they were. And so some of my, my colleagues from the other medical schools in Japan have said that, yeah, they, um, I think, especially in the beginning, they weren't doing a lot of testing because they really were hoping that they could still have the Olympics. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, oh. That makes sense. So the president was right then when he said, just stop testing and there won't be any problem. <laughs> it will go away, yeah. He's brilliant to see. He was right all along. <laughs> Dang it. If we just don't test anybody, nobody gets sick. Exactly. <laughs> um, shoot, I think it. I had a, I had a, uh, I had a thought, but I, I lost it. Okay, well, uh -oh. we'll, right. we'll do a couple of quick, um, we'll do a couple of quick uh, listener questions because we had, you know, we post about you before you come on, and we have people that that write in, so we have a couple of of questions I think are kind of interesting. One I think we've kind of answered already, but it this is from Uk Kev. Uh, he says, from a medical professional, you know, is there a way to clean instruments or should we be cleaning our instruments if we're passing it around person to person? Um, I, I know you like, kind of said that so far we haven't really seen much of, uh, of um, infections coming from people touching stuff, right? Musical yeah. instruments, right, John? Yeah, musical instruments, yeah. Okay. What did I say? I mean, Just instruments? Yeah. I think that... I think that it, you know, certainly if it's just like a guitar or something, right, it's not going to be as dangerous. Like, I certainly wouldn't like play a trumpet and then give it to the next guy oh, and he yeah. start playing it. You know, like that certainly is going to be really dangerous. And that, it's just, that's just gross. Well, it is gross, but. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> but like if it's just like a guitar or something, you know, I think it would be it's especially important that you guys are washing your hands and I'm saying you guys because I know you guys all play <laughs> instruments, but um, and then, you know, sanitizing and then, you know, to be safe, you know, like I, 
you know, you could maybe spray it, I guess. Um, but I don't think it's that important. Um, it's more important, like, yeah, for like the, um, the wind instruments. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that, you know, usually they don't share instruments uh, in bands and things, but they're, they're having um, a lot more difficulty, I think, deciding how to uh, do things. Like one of, one of my cousins is a band instructor and he's really struggling, I think, mm. with how he's going to have band, you know? And he put right. up like shower curtains in the band room and everything to separate all the students, so... Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I want Hawaiian band. Oh. Hawaiian band. They're trying to figure out how to do that as well, right? Oh, okay. Because, yeah. I know they want to get back to starting to perform, but they just they can't figure out a way to do it. You got a hundred people in a room. They have to do small ensembles, I think. Yeah. yeah. I would think the one instrument that would really have to be careful with passing along is a microphone, though, right? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, nowadays, That's nowadays uh, the microphones are are so good and so cheap that many. Um, Many people like myself now. I I bring my own mic wherever I go because I have a preference. That's good on. too. Yeah, Man, like but I've I've probably kissed every single musician in Hawaii at this yeah. point with all the mics that I've used. You know, <laughs> and we and we've all stepped up to the mic and gone. Oh, who is on? <laughs> that's right. For me, oh my goodness. Yeah. I wonder if yeah, that's so the um, future of karaoke. You got to bring in your own mic. Plug yeah, in. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, now, nowadays, you can get a pretty good one for, I, I don't know, 100, 150 bucks or something like that. And if you're a professional performer, you might as well do it, you know, because then you, you have your sound and when you go to gigs, you can just, uh, you know what you're getting into, you know, rather than, yeah. Yeah. You know, that Jill. Actually, um, oh, that was actually a big problem with the firefighters because, you know, they have their, um, the microphone in the trucks. Oh, so when they're oh. in the trucks, that's how they talk to each other. And before, they weren't cleaning it very well before <laughs> between shifts. Yeah. And so they had to, like, they took the, the um, foam part off so that they could actually clean it better. Now they boil it <laughs> every day, but more to talk. You know, I have a question for you, Joe. And it, 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 I mean, obviously, you don't have a crystal ball to get the right answer for this. But are we right now in the process of never seeing a buffet ever open again? <laughs> or are we in the process of actually seeing hot pot cooking and shared pot in the middle of people, you know, sh sharing soup together and stuff like that and cooking meals together? Is this the end of all of this? I mean, I... I, I really believe that once there's an effective vaccine and um, and I, I, it would have to be, you know, an effective one, <laughs> but I do think that we can get back to, to semi-normal, you know, um, because, well, and, you know, it depends how many people, I think it'll take a while for people maybe to trust the vaccine. So for people to actually take it and things like that, um, especially if, you know, people are going to try to rush a vaccine. I think it's a little dangerous if you don't do the proper trials and things like that. Um, but I do think that eventually, I mean, I think it might take a long time, but I do think that eventually we can get back to, you know, a semblance of what, life used to be like I mean you think you know like you look back at there have been you know pandemics before right and um, everybody looks to the Spanish flu um, 
and you know we got back to kind of a normal state of being after that but it just takes a takes a long time i think yeah. so you know like for me even before the pandemic and i think my wife and even you can attest to that i was pretty much a germaphobe from the beginning like i wouldn't touch the shoyu bottle in at any restaurant you know and i would want to wash my hands before i eat you all you've seen that joe before when we used to eat and dine together um this pandemic and and this 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 mask wearing and the thought of getting sick has made me even more paranoid to a point where i don't think i ever want to eat a buffet ever again especially as i see 200 people in front of me just digging into it and touching the utensils and stuff like that i'm like I'm done with that because even if we find a cure for this disease, what else diseases out there that, that now I'm more susceptible to getting, you know, that I never realized before. So I'm not sure if like everybody became a little bit more hypersensitive and everyone became a little bit more germophobic to this, this experience that even if it became back to normal, people would still be kind of afraid for to do certain things because of this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, certainly things are going to change, you know, like I think that it has definitely opened people's eyes to uh, infectious disease spread and things like that. I think that we had, uh, you know, in the age that we've grown up, you know, we've always had antibiotics, we've always had vaccines, you know, and so I don't think we've ever been exposed to a serious infectious disease threat like this before. And so I think that, you know, we, we sort of lived in a bubble before, you know, and mm -hmm. so now, now that people have been exposed to this, I think that people will be more careful. I do think like, like buffets will probably not be the same, you know, um, probably they'll have people serving you know, so it's not that you serve yourself. They'll probably have one person serving to touch the, you know, utensils. There's probably going to be a lot of, like, guards so that people aren't, like, breathing and spitting yeah. into food, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, I mean, there might be a buffet, but it's not, like, a serve yourself kind of thing, you know. Mm. Yeah. Oh, more jobs then. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have buffet <laughs> server jobs. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, to jump off of Jill's comment, I was thinking about like, uh, whenever I get a little anxious about this uh, pandemic and, you know, the, the risks and stuff like that, I think about man, back in the day, like, if you would just go out and like chop wood, you could get eaten by a bear. You know, that was life for like hundreds of thousands of years before, before our lifetime, you know, so, you know, people still lived and they still were able to build this society and become, you know, like a, a human race or whatnot. So, um, got to keep things in perspective you know yeah. yeah yeah and i know that um not the majority of people but a bunch of people that catch this disease is asymptomatic and never feel anything but on the flip side a healthy person that caught it or or somebody that catches it you've seen the repercussions of this disease can you educate us on what what damage it has done to people who have lived through this yeah so you know i think that um so <laughs> You know, so I did come from the press conference today, right? And I always tell myself, okay, don't look at the comments that people are leaving because it just infuriates me, like, to see what people are saying. And, you know, like, some of the comments are like, you know, there's hardly been any deaths, so why are we so concerned about it? And I'm like, really? You know, like, maybe in Hawaii, like, but 27 deaths and 28, I guess, today – like, 
that's 28 too many deaths. Like, how can you, like, if that was your mom or dad or brother or sister, you wouldn't be saying like, oh, it's only been 28 deaths, right? I mean, that's just crazy for people to think that way. And if you look like nationwide and worldwide in the number of deaths that this has caused, it is, it is really, really astronomical, you know? And um, so, you know, I have, you know, one of my, um, one of my colleagues, uh, he got it uh, early on, you know, he had traveled to New York and he, uh, this was before we knew how bad it was. And uh, he ended up in the intensive care unit. He was on a ventilator for like 10 days and he's, uh -huh. you know, not that much older than me. And, um, you know, it, it can cause significant damage to your lungs. And I've heard uh, reports that um, even after you recover, you still have um, a significant rest. Some people do anyway, you know, have significant respiratory problems. You know, it's been months out since they've been, you know, they've recovered and they're still having problems. One of my former students um, who's a resident now uh, in California, he got it early on as well. And, um, and he's young. He's like, you know, late 20s. And he got, uh, he didn't get sick enough to go into the hospital. But, you know, he had maybe like three weeks of shortness of breath and cough. And even though he's better now, you know, he still has a difficult time breathing when he exerts himself. He can't work out like he used to. And so it's still significantly kind of, you know, affecting his life. And so while it's true that a lot of people won't get symptoms or they'll get just really mild kind of like cold-like symptoms, for some people, they, you know, they do get significantly sick. And, um, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just like people saying, well, only like 1% of kids are going to get like seriously sick and die. Like, that's like a lot of kids <laughs> if you think about how many kids are in our country, right? And so, you know, to to gamble with people's lives like that is not, you know, I don't think it's okay. Like, it's it's really easy to say that when it's not somebody that's, you know, your friend or family member. Can we okay. do like a, um, a scared street section right now? Because <laughs> I, I read up on being on a ventilator. And the repercussions of that happening when you're on it and a lot of people right now i don't think they realize how evasive or how how traumatic that experience is and if you can scare people into not wanting ever to be in that in that position to have that happen to you can you explain the, the medical process of putting you on a ventilator so people can now take it seriously because i mean this disease could actually get them to that point you know mm-hmm well, <laughs> um, <laughs> so most of the time, you know, so we have to put a tube down people's throat um, and it goes into your trachea, which is your, your windpipe, right? And so in order to do that, we um, use this metal blade and basically kind of pry your jaw open and um, because you have to be able to slip in the tube into, so we look into your mouth and because you don't want it to go down your esophagus or your food pipe right you want it to make sure that it goes into your windpipe and so you need to make sure you can visualize 
that. And so then um, we stick the tube down. And most of the time, you know, the people are sedated, but it is, they still can feel it happening. And it's very, if you can imagine like somebody trying to stick a tube down, you know, your, your windpipe. I mean, I mean, most people can't, like if they just <laughs> stick a finger in their mouth, they start gagging and it's unbearable <laughs> for some people, right? So to have, a tube have to go all the way down into your into your windpipe is very very uncomfortable and then once it's there we inflate a balloon so that it doesn't move and then you get hooked up to a machine basically that is um, pushing air into your lungs so that it breathes for you so it pushes air in and um, and then the air you know air comes out and then the oxygen goes through that machine as well and um, so, you know, a lot of times we keep people sedated when they're on the ventilator. But um, my friend that I was talking about that uh, got put on the ventilator, um, he, he actually gave a talk to the med students and the uh, faculty at the med school about his experience. And he relayed how he, he, there were times that he was definitely lucid and he he could tell exactly what was happening to him and it was like terrifying because you can't move right you're you're um sometimes we use paralytics because if you if you move too much or you you know um you fight the vent too much then it's not effective and so a lot of times they have to give you more and more sedation or or even paralyze you sometimes and um and you can't do anything Right. And and it's a really, really scary thing to have to be in that state for such a long period of time and not really knowing, you know, what's going on or like, you know, are you are you dreaming? You know, are you dead? And this is like you're just feeling this or, you know, like what's happening? And um, it, it is a really, really scary thing to, I think, have to be, I mean, I have never been, I mean, I, I guess I've been on a ventilator for like surgery and things like that, but that's nothing compared to like having to, you know, need to stay on a ventilator for, for, because you can't breathe on your own, basically. And, and there's also like repercussions for that too, right? What? There's, there's also repercussions from that being on a ventilator too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, and that's why we don't like to keep people on ventilators too long because you, it sets you up for other infections because anytime you have something kind of foreign in your body, you know, and um, basically it's like pushing air, right, into your lungs. And so you definitely are at risk for other types of lung infections. Um, it can cause permanent damage and like scarring. Um, in your lungs if you're on the ventilator for too long or if they have to use like too high levels of oxygen for for long periods of time and so yeah there's definitely risks to being on the ventilator okay well that scared the shit out of me and on wear a mask now you know <laughs> hopefully it, it woke people up to it that are listening you know well it's not uh, only that too but i think it's also uh, when you think about the the repercussions of after you have this thing because they're they're saying in, some people have the lungs of like seven year olds yeah after they're done with this yeah. you can't breathe correctly you uh mm -hmm. my uh, my roommate from college caught it uh, he and his wife and they told him um what they're finding is that 
and again, you're a doctor, so you probably know all this already, but uh, his doctor was telling him the thing that's happening with younger people is they're throwing clots. So he said, okay, the doctor told him you have to take baby medicine because it's going to thin your blood out a little bit. And, you know, just, you may not have anything happen, but just in case, take this thing. And I don't, I don't know, you know, when you catch the flu, you catch the flu and you're done. You don't catch the flu and then have to take another pill for like two, three weeks because there's a chance that you'll have a blood clot and die. So, you know, the fact that there's all these other sort of complications that have developed after people have had this thing um, is, is really terrifying. <laughs> To put it well, well, let me let me ask this question. Uh, I know that, uh, and maybe you can elaborate, Jill. But uh, this disease is a vascular disease versus a respiratory disease. Um, it's actually a respiratory disease. Oh, it is a respiratory disease. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've heard that it's a vascular. Okay, see, this is part no, of. No, I was like, wait, vascular? What? No, that's why it has the clots and stuff. That's what I well, he's read. Well, so, it can affect other systems, but primarily yeah. it's a respiratory disease. Okay, so is the flu a respiratory disease as well? Yes. Okay, but this one just... So what is the difference as to why it makes clots? So it just affects um, the body differently, and it, it stimulates different types of it stimulates the immune response differently than some of the other viruses. And so it kind of activates different cells. And so that's why like, um, it's really varied how people um, are responding to the virus. Like some people have, you know, like kind of the traditional fever, cough, shortness of breath and things like that. Some people only have like really bad headaches or just kind of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And some people have like uh, red eyes and a rash. And, you know, like it's, it's really quite varied much, much more than a lot of the other viral illnesses that we normally deal with. And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's been so difficult because people just really don't know um, you know, like when they have it. And, um, I think that's why a lot of people wait a while to get tested because they think, Oh, you know, I'm just having headaches. It's probably not COVID. Well, um, um you know. a, a few weeks ago I was, I was a little run down and I was having headaches and feeling not so good. And I called my doctor and they said, uh, unless you have a fever or a cough, then they, that we're not going to test you. Yeah, so probably, so um, especially early on, yeah. and and actually it's still true now, but we, you know, there still is a significant shortage of testing supplies. And so um, that's part of the reason why they were, um, you know, kind of holding on to the test for people that really met kind of like more traditional criteria for COVID or that were really sick. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're really sick, you know, we need to know what we're dealing with. Um, there still is kind of a shortage, but um, I think that now the testing criteria has kind of um, become a little bit more liberal um, because they, you know, they really want to try to get a hold of, you know, um, just kind of shutting people down and isolating people that may have it so that they don't spread it to other people. And because earlier on, there wasn't very much in the community, right? So mm -hmm. 
So part of testing deals with how much, how like how prevalent a disease is in the community. So if it's not that prevalent, to test a whole bunch of people is not that effective. But if a if a disease is much more prevalent in the community, it makes more sense to be more liberal with testing because you want to pick up all those cases and at an early stage so that you're not spreading it around to the rest of the community. So um, it is true that, you know, before a lot of doctors were telling patients that they couldn't get them tested. So in a perfect world, we would have all this testing available. If John felt run down in any way, you would suggest he gets tested. And, yeah. And at least, at least stay at home until he gets tested. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who are sick now, they should definitely stay home, even though they uh, don't get tested. You know, they shouldn't go out if they're not feeling well. And a lot of the the people that are like infecting their workplaces, it's because they're going to work sick. And yeah, my friend did a video. She said she was in, I think it was she was in Costco or something. So she's standing in there waiting to, to go shopping. And this guy is talking to his friend going, yeah, I had 104 fever and I was coughing and stuff. So uh, I went and got a test. And she's like, you asshole, why are you shopping at yeah. Costco when you're sick? Like, just stay home. It doesn't make, you know, ugh. Yeah. And, I, and I understand and I sympathize with some people like that because one, okay, Costco, maybe they, they could find someone to shop for them, right? But people that are have you know need to make a living and and make income you know and can't afford to take off work because they feel a little under the weather. It's a choice, right, between survival economically or survival during a pandemic or or, or getting sick. So I can see that choice being a harder decision to make, you know. And I don't know what I don't know what the answer is for that, you know. Yeah, it's Just a tough. people sick. It's, t- it's a tough choice. Well, we have one more listener question. I want to talk about vitamin D and I want to talk about schools. Whoa. Normally, I would say let's, um, let's cut, but I do want this information yeah. to get out. So we'll, oh, yeah. just let it, we'll just let no, it run. We're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is from Renesis808. He says that uh, he asked, well, 14 days seems to be the standard number of days of quarantine. Can COVID stay in your system longer than that and still be contagious? So, yeah, no. Um it can definitely stay in your system longer, but then you're not contagious. And so it's usually, um, usually if you're going, so the quarantine is 14 days, the isolation time is 10 days. So there's a difference between quarantine and isolation because quarantine, you're just um, waiting to see if you're going to develop the illness at any point. And so from the time of exposure, you can develop um, the virus in you anywhere up to 14 days. I mean, in a rare case, it might happen beyond 14 days, but that would be really, really rare. So usually it's between 2 to 14 days that you would develop enough virus to be detected and enough virus to be infectious. Um, once you have the virus, though, once you like get symptoms, um, it's only 10 days because that's you usually will stay infectious around eight or nine days. And that's why they go to 10 days just to be sure. Okay. Um, but after 10 days, like if you took a test again, you would still 
most likely test positive because the viral the virus is still shedding and it's still in you and it's still going to be detectable for probably weeks um, but that doesn't mean that you're infectious okay yeah okay that's super interesting oh, joe yeah. can i ask about um something called cytokine storms is that correct am i saying that correct cytokines cytokine storm. yeah Yes. I, I heard I had heard something about that with regards to younger people, and <laughs> is that wrong? No, no, no. I mean, so cytokines are inflammatory mediators. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anything about them being more active. I mean, usually in a younger person, your immune system is more um, responsive, and so mm -hmm. maybe the cytokines would be yeah, more i don't know i i heard it in a pod or read it in something but they're saying that it might be sometimes true, it's happening with young people yeah where they're yeah. they're fine they do this they do this thing where they're they they get sick they get better or they get better really quickly and then it boomerangs and comes back and the, they were saying that some of it might have been the cytokine thing because the body comes back and you know is trying to do the thing that young people do which is come back stronger but that coming back stronger actually works against them in the long run i mean it may it makes sense i mean a lot of times the the problems that like the symptoms that you get and the problems that you get is not actually like the virus or the bacteria itself mm -hmm. it's how your body is responding to those pathogens that actually cause the symptoms yeah mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool. I have an immunity question. Sorry. <laughs> it's been on my mind, so I figure I, tell, I ask you now. I might have asked you before at my house, but I'm not sure. So the people that are susceptible to getting COVID is immunocompromised and the elderly, right? Well, they're, they're more susceptible, but other yeah. people are still susceptible. True, I think, true. I think, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I think yeah. you're not susceptible to getting it. It's just that you'd have worse symptoms, though. If you're immunocompromised or elderly, right? That's true. I mean, you're not at higher risk of getting it, I suppose. Yeah, but you, if you, um, you have, you tend to have a weaker immune system, so you, you might be more at risk of getting it. Yeah. Okay, and that immunocompromised meaning your your health is not at performing at an optimal level, right? Well, I mean, technically, immunocompromised means that there's some. Um, that your immune system specifically is not working as well as it, it normally does. Okay, because I'm looking at it on a health basis because, for instance, me, I'm on high pressure medicine, I'm on high cholesterol medicine, I'm on gout medication, I'm on all these kind of medications, and I'm healthy because I'm on the medication, right? Devin, same thing. See, <laughs> right? You I'm diabetes, all this kind of stuff. I was right? waiting for him to drag me. <laughs> John, John just, John just skinny. But the two of us, yeah, you know, we have pom -pom. Yeah, a big stomach. Us, me, and, me and Devin, we, we, we have ailments, but we, we're taking medications for it. Are we put in the category of immunocompromised, or are we put in the category of, of high risk? Is what I'm trying no. to say. Even if we're on medication to be at a at a at a better level of health. So not all diseases would qualify as making you immunocompromised. So I would say between you and Devin, like Devin is at higher risk because oh. diabetes does put, make, does affect your immune system. And so even if, I mean, if you're well controlled, you know, certainly you're going to be at less risk.
but um, you know, uh, just having diabetes in and of itself puts you at a higher risk category. Okay, and Devin, you know, if if you feel uncomfortable with this being said on air, just we can edit this out too. You know, no, on air I've talked about having diabetes okay. and all this fun stuff. I don't know all about this HEPA shit. Jill has still has told me for years. Whatever. Okay, but yeah, I mean, I, that's the that's the thing I was wondering about because like, oh, you know, I'm 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 medicated. Am I unhealthy because of that? You know, and I'm where am I at risk? You know, but Devin is. <laughs> But like, you know, like you don't have to have a disease, even like smokers are at higher risk, right? People who vape are at higher risk. So, oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So the, the last couple of things. So there's a lot of uh, talk about vitamin D. They talk about blood types, you know, because because different people have different uh, levels of, um, you know, uh, symptoms. Is there any um, any evidence that you see out there of any type of person getting hit harder other than elderly and obese any other vitamin d deficient or this blood type or this person it's, it's just kind of random yeah right now i mean there's no really good um studies that have shown one type over another or like vitamin deficiencies i mean if you are vitamin deficient in general then it's a marker of uh, immunosuppression so you know, you probably, that would make you at higher risk, but not just because of one specific vitamin deficiency. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, but that being said, you know, this is such a new virus that the studies that have been done are really short-term studies, right? And it's right. very limited studies. And so we probably won't have good data for a really long time. And so people that are claiming, you know, like they have really good data to show this and this and this, you know, it's hard to say that because there's no widespread long-term studies yet for COVID. So. Okay. Well, last question. Uh, so schools, at least public schools are supposed to open August 17th. Do you foresee that uh, happening or, or my son going to become a professional Fortnite player? <laughs> That's all, all he's been doing for the last month and a half. It's getting pretty good. Their kids aren't in school anymore. Yeah. She's like, woohoo! Yeah. Um, you know, I think that if it's certainly if um, if we have another shutdown, then they're not gonna. Obviously, they're not gonna allow schools. Um, I don't. I I really don't think we'll go to a total shutdown unless something goes horribly wrong. I yeah. think that. Um, I think that the schools can open, but I think that they need to have a much, I think they have to have more guidance, like standardized guidance, you know, not just like, oh, each principal is kind of on its own to uh, make, make up the rules for their school and things like that. And I think that they definitely have to ensure that every classroom, every teacher is following kind of certain at least certain protocol you know and like when i first heard that they weren't gonna have them mask at all like i think that's like a that's like a huge problem <laughs> like why would you, why would you allow that you know i mean that doesn't make any sense at all and you know i get it i get that you it's hard to make kids do things um you know uh but the, this whole bubble concept like oh it's okay because they're going to be in the same bubbles and then it'll be easier to contract trace them and things like that i mean that doesn't help if you have like 
30 people that now are positive and who cares if you know who the 30 people are they then have gone home and infected their families and um and you know you can't keep the bubble if they're going out to play at recess with the other bubbles and you know there's, <laughs> there's definitely cross contamination there and so you know, I think that they, they do have to have very strict rules. And I think the teachers are right. Like they need to have more training about, you know, what they're, what they're expected to do and how, how can they keep themselves safe and the students safe. And, you know, I just, I feel like it's really horrible that a lot of the teachers are um, having to, um, you know, pay for all of these protective things themselves like you know it shouldn't be and like what if a teacher can't afford that then, then their kids you know in their classroom don't get protected you know <laughs> like um it shouldn't be like that and it shouldn't be that you know um if your school has a better pta and gets funded then you get safer precautions than you know, a school that um, is out in a more impoverished area and doesn't get that kind of funding. You know, I think that the state really needs to make sure that there's a standard and that the standard is being followed by everybody. You know, you know what's funny? This kind of uh, makes me think about, you know, as a, as a, someone who has a family, I'm a, a dad and stuff, I always think about, okay, you know, if... Uh, for some reason, something happens and we can't stand at our house or whatever, you know, when you think about emergency planning or like, you know, say something happens and I can't work for a while. And what I always had this, uh, this like, um, last ditch, uh, okay. If worst, worst case scenario, I can always move in with my parents. You know, we, we all move in there. We rent this, our house out and we can kind of float ourselves till we can get back on our feet and stuff. But then COVID comes and it's like, I can't move in with my parents because I don't want to infect them, right? It's, it's one of these weird, like you would never think. Similarly with the teachers, you think about, well, they need training. Okay, great. You know how we normally train people? We all get them in one room and we have a <laughs> trainer come in and we explain to them, but like, how do you now, how do you train all these people when you can't physically get them together, right? It's, it's one of these strange situations where, where a normal fix isn't going to fix it, right? You got to kind of think outside the box it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Very, very interesting. Uh, interesting situation. Yo, um, I was curious. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't know if there was an if there was a question in there, John. No, was there wasn't a, a question. question? There. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Because <laughs> I was like, wait. <clears throat> um, Joe, you know, with your work with the home project and and the homeless and all that stuff, um, what have you seen in that community with regards to the virus and all that kind of stuff? Just curious. So until very recently, there were actually no positive cases of COVID in the homeless population. And I think early on, um, there was a lot of fear about the homeless, um, like that they were like the, the walking. Yeah, like they were like walking COVID, right? But yeah. um, they, they actually didn't have a lot of COVID. I mean, there was no cases of COVID before. And um, you know, the, it was only recently that IHS got some uh, positive cases. And 
you know, a lot, some of that spread was from the actual workers and not necessarily, you know, the people. Um, One of the other shelters um, also has had, has had a positive, two positives now, Um, but it's still not widespread in the community. You know, the testing that we've done on our unsheltered population, I haven't had one single positive yet. Um, and, you know, part of it is they kind of keep to themselves. Like, they're really good about social distancing, you know? <laughs> um, and people don't want to come by them. So so they, they're not going to get at risk. So it's, it's actually the people in the shelters probably that are at higher risk because they're in kind of enclosed spaces, a little crowded, especially someplace like IHS because they don't have um, like separate units that they, you know, they house in. It's like one big room with a lot of different beds and stuff like that. So, you know, certainly it's a much more dangerous kind of environment. But for the unsheltered homeless, you know, they're out in the open and, you know, they they are socially distancing. So we haven't seen a big problem there. In the shelters, is it like required that they got to mask up when they're in the facility and stuff like that? How how is it? It's now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, can we get a little bit of information? Uh, do you want to wait until like later, or can I ask her now? No. Just to no, describe so the whole project and talk about that a little bit yeah. as well. I don't want to let her go without talking about yep. that because definitely a big part of her life. Sorry, we didn't mean for COVID to do everything, but. Yeah, so, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what's home project? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, hey. <laughs> My life has been COVID. But, um, yeah, so uh, HOME start, stands for Homeless Outreach and Medical Education, and it's run through the Johnny Burns School of Medicine. And let's see. I started it in 2005, and it provides free medical care, basically, for the homeless on Oahu. We started with like one small clinic at the Next Step Shelter, and now we have uh, around 10 sites that we go to, um, both unsheltered and sheltered um, homeless. And we have an RV that we have kind of um, renovated to be a mobile medical clinic. And basically, we have students of all um, levels at the medical school and pre-med volunteers and then just also volunteer physicians from the community that help to supervise the students and we provide free care for the homeless and um, we basically function like a regular medical clinic so anything that a, a regular medical clinic can do we can do we do lab testing at our site we give out vaccines and do TB tests. We can even do ultrasound at our clinic, um, minor procedures. Um, we do a lot of wound care. So the students, you know, it's a, it's, it's a real win-win because the students get a lot of good training. Um, and, you know, people, the vulnerable patients get care that they might not be getting otherwise. And it's just a really, I, you know, I, the reason I started it was I felt that Um, students need to be exposed to this kind of population and this kind of care um, if we want to expect them to give back later. Um, Because if you don't have those experiences in medical school, you know, you're much less likely to, um, number one, feel safe about 
you know, volunteering for activities like that or, you know, like that you have the knowledge to do that and or even the desire, you know, like I feel like since Home Project has started, it really has helped students to see the need out there and to want to give back when they are finished. So lots and lots of our volunteer physicians are actually former students now that have gone through residency training and have now come back and are volunteering their time to work with us. So I, you know, I really, I mean, that always makes me feel super happy when um, we have our alumni come back and help. So it's a cool project, man. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I, I'm sorry. Did Did you mention how you were funded? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, uh... <laughs> we um we don't get any money from the state or the city or the federal government. Um, and the even though we're affiliated with the university, we're not um, in the budget for the university. So we have to raise all of the money ourselves. And so we write grants. Um, we get um, donations from organizations and private individuals. And we do lots of fundraisers. So we, we usually... Um, do like tons of bake sales, but we haven't been able to have any bake sales <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah. yeah. And actually, we had to cancel our. We were going to have like a Easter Easter egg kind of. Um, it was our Easter egg extravaganza, <laughs> and we had to cancel that. And we normally have a food and wine tasting fundraiser. Oh man. We had to cancel uh, that. And that's usually our, you know, how we fund most of what we do. So we're a little concerned about um, our financial situation moving forward. We're looking into maybe doing like a virtual fundraiser or something like that. But, um, and you know, it's hard to like we, you know, everybody's having a hard time right now. And so to ask people to donate to us is, it's really hard. So um, but we're going to keep trying to do as much as we can and, you know, writing more grants, trying to see if we can get other sources of funding. So, Is there a contact information that you can give out so people who are, want to help out or donate or even volunteer their time can contact you for certain events and stuff? Yeah, so our, our website is um, www.hawaiihomeproject.org. And um, all of our contact information is on there. There's a donation link on there as well. Um, and and, I'm assuming you guys are a 501c, 509c, or so. Yeah, we fall under the UH Foundation, which is a okay. 501c. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we'll put that in the, the detail section of our uh, YouTube and all that stuff as well. You know, um, before we we end this podcast, I just wanted to see if you had anything to to tell our ten listeners. That are listening to this. Watchers, watchers, right? Watchers. Yeah, the, the, directly, you know, like something that you just want to tell or, or you know, announce to them about the concerns that you have. It's going to be like, wear a mask. <laughs> well, sort of, yeah. But, you know, like, like so, you know, I, that at the press conference today, um, I don't want to, I don't want to watch the rebroadcast because I, I feel like I was like, Come on, people. <laughs> oh, you're all fired up. Oh, you were fired up, Jill. I think maybe it was all in my head, but um, but that's how I was feeling, you know. Like I just I don't I don't get it. I don't get what is so hard about just 
you know, like just wearing a mask and just avoid large gatherings. Like, I mean, I get how important that is in Hawaii, especially, you know, like the gatherings and everything. And, but it's not worth like the safety of other people's. And like, and what I, what I tried to emphasize today too was like, in the last week, I've had to quarantine and isolate so many firefighters and HPD officers and EMS. I mean, in the fire department alone, we have eight in isolation and 55 that are quarantined right now. I mean, that's a significant number of first responders that are not out there, can't, um, you know, protect us. And then you have all the other guys having to do so many overtime shifts and then they're going to get you know, just kind of wiped out, right? And people need to start taking some personal responsibility and stop being so selfish. Like, mm -hmm. I get that you want to go to a party, but, you know, is that really worth somebody's life? Like, is that, you know, like, I think when you put it in that perspective, you know, I think everybody thinks it's not going to happen to them until it happens to them. And we need to be much more proactive about just being more responsible. I think that's what I'd like to say. Well, Jill, we just appreciate you taking your time to come on. I can't wait for the comment section on this one. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Oh, boy. I wanted to tell you also that I have that exact same chair that you have the green one in the back, but mine is orange. And so uh, we have the same taste in furniture. Ah, okay. Yeah. I really wish this was actually my chair. I know, that's actually not, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'll show you. I do actually have a chair that looks exactly like that, but it's orange in real life. <laughs> but that, thanks so much for, uh, for, for doing this. And, uh, man, it's going to be an interesting uh, rest of the month. And uh, I'm sorry you have to field, like, 18 million calls. I know that wasn't your plan when you signed up for this job. But, um, uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> shit happens. Yeah, during this during this podcast, I've gotten like twenty calls. Oh my god! Holy smokes! Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's nice being uh, away from it for a while. Well, yeah. thank you for all you do for Hawaii, the state, us as as friends and family. You know, thank you for everything. You know, we really yeah. appreciate it. Um, thank you for making the sacrifice for us. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you to your husband also for making the sacrifice. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, and it's, it's actually kind of cool that, you know, we, we know you as, you know, Dr. Jill, and then you're all, like, important and stuff, and it's really weird for us to have friends that are really close with us, and they're in these big high – you know what I mean? It's just yeah. – I don't know. I'm not important, by the way. <laughs> is that? I'm not important. <laughs> I don't know, man. How about that? Yeah, you're pretty important to the to uh, to the city for sure. So, um, thank but you. But you know, between me and Devin, you have been our unofficial family physician for years. <laughs> True. <laughs> but the most important thing I think is that, um, you know, besides you being our unofficial family physician, before that, you're your family, and you just happen to be a doctor. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. We have a Jill in our group. His name is Kevin, and he's a radiologist. And he's, he's the guy like, hey, Kevin, I got, I, I ate something that I wasn't supposed to, or, you know, like, I, I'm going to be, should I go to the doctor? You know, there's always somebody, right, that you have that you call for random stuff. Yeah, so every time I get a weird rash or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
She's the one I call, you know. So now like, I gotta stand go in line with the other people. <laughs> Just like, go to your doctor. Why are you asking me? Oh my gosh. Devin calls her more than I do. I guarantee that. Oh, no, no. Well, I used to. But now I don't anymore. Because oh. I, I try to be nice to her and not bother. <laughs> yeah, I'm good now. I'm good now. For a while there, it was kind of... Yeah, this is... This in fact, we, you know what, John? I feel bad. We never got around to asking her the. the oh the music yeah, we did it. Yeah. But, but you know what? Uh, it's okay. We'll, I'll, we'll, I'll email her about it. And we'll get, we'll get her replies that way. Because it doesn't really fit in what right. we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. She gotta go back for twenty calls right now after this. Yeah, I know. Let's let her go. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Okay, we'll talk to you later. See you soon. Bye bye. Okay. Bye.